Thank you, Sharon. Good morning. Welcome to everyone here at First Church this morning. Welcome to all our guests, and welcome to all our listeners on the radio this morning. A few announcements before we start our worship. Uh, flowers on the altar this morning. We have a flower arrangement down here in front from the funeral in memory of Don Preter. We also have a rose on the altar this morning in honor of Lee and Diane Kedenry, who will celebrate 55 years of marriage on March 1st. So happy anniversary, Diane and Lee. This morning we welcome Mr. Peter Franz uh, today, who will share about his mission work. I'm sure we'll all hear a lot more about that later. Also, after the service, there will be a congregational meeting today uh, to discuss and vote on the replacement heating system. Uh, there will be no Sunday school for adults or children. Children can go next door to the ministry center or stay with their parents for the meeting. Uh, the confirmation students are to attend the meeting also. If you would, uh, join me this morning in our call to worship, which comes from Psalm 33, 1 through 5, and verses 20 through 22. Sing joyfully to the Lord, you righteous. It is fitting for the upright to praise him. Praise the Lord with the harp. Make music to him on the ten-string lyre. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully and shout for joy. For the word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all he does. The Lord loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of his unfailing love. We wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. May your unfolding love be with us, Lord, even as we put our hope in you. And now all that are able would please stand and we'll open our worship with hymn number eight in the blue hymnal. Praise to the Lord Almighty.
This time I want to invite forward Rob Cheney. He is one of our newly uh, elected deacons serving on consistory this year for the first time. Rob was not able to be with us uh, when we had our the installation service a couple weeks ago because of family commitments, and so we're going to we don't want him to be feeling left out, and so we decided to do it this morning all by yourself. So. Uh, as I, as I talked about last time, you know, we have some questions here that, that Rob is able to, uh, testify to his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, as well as his commitment to serve this church and this body of believers as a deacon. And so I'm gonna ask you a few questions here, and I'd like you to, to of course respond to them, and then I'll have a prayer for you. So, Rob, do you trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Do you believe in the Old and New Testaments to be the inspired Word of God, and do you commit to align your life according to the Bible to the best of your ability with the help of the Holy Spirit? I do. Do you feel called by God to the office of deacon in order to serve God and edify the First Church of New Knoxville? I do. And do you commit to fulfill the responsibilities of deacon as outlined in our Constitution, which include the ability to aid in securing the funds necessary for the support of the church, to foster the principles of Christian stewardship, to dispense the charity of the church, and to assist in the distribution of the elements of the Lord's Supper. I will. Wonderful. Let's invite you to pray with me as I pray for Rob this morning. Heavenly Father, since the time of the apostles, you have inspired the church to commission certain members to assist in a special way in the pastoral mission of Christ. Hear our prayers for, for this faithful servant of yours, that in his vocation and ministry, he may be an instrument of your love. And give to him, your servant, now to be ordained, the needful gifts of grace. Bless this deacon that he may be humble and faith-inspired in his service. We ask through Christ our Lord. Amen. Thanks, Rob. Now, now at this time, I want to invite the children to come forward for children's chat. And as they do, I invite you to take a moment and greet your neighbor. Nikki, help me today because I got a lot going on. Who likes ice cream? Me. Me too. What's your favorite? What's your favorite? Chocolate, chocolate ice cream. Chocolate ice cream, I think, is the winning flavor. Mine's cookies and cream. I like it. Yeah, cookies and cream. Anybody like strawberry ice cream? Oh, that's not yours. Chocolate chip cookie dough. You know what? I also love spearmint ice cream. You know, the green stuff with the red peppermint sticks. Mmm. All right, well, I got some ice cream here. Each bowl's going to get two spoons. We're going to have kind of like a little mini party. All right. I only have two bowls. So who would like some ice cream? (laughs) I know, right? Miss Shelby was awful and I should have brought more. Okay. You know what? I'm going to give Miss Nikki this bowl because she was so kind to come up here and help me. So I've got one more bowl of ice cream. Who wants to fight over it? Okay. You know what? Mr. Benjamin, since you were so kind to come up here with Miss Shelby, do you want to eat ice cream with Miss Nikki? Yeah? No? Okay. (laughs) You want to eat some ice cream? All right. Do you want chocolate syrup? Yeah? All right. Who doesn't love chocolate? No, now you want some. It's got the good stuff on it. You want some chocolate? Yes, I do. All right. So we're going to get some chocolate on here. Okay. Here you go, sweetie. All right. Have some, have some chocolate. Have some ice cream. Does it taste okay? 
How's yours taste? Is it good? Do you like the chocolate syrup on top? What's wrong, Nikki? Oh, what did you do to me? What's wrong with it? It is, tastes terrible. Does yours taste terrible? She's eating another bite. Why don't you eat another bite and try it again? Oh, dear. <laughs> try it. Yeah, still awful. Oh, oh. You want to try some of this? Oh, do you want to try some of it? Of course. Of course. We'll see if it tastes really bad. Does it taste good or bad? Awesome. It tastes awesome? I must be doing it wrong. Okay. Okay, okay. We'll have Miss Nikki try one more taste. I have to be honest, because I just lied to Miss Nikki. I put salt in hers. Don't hate me, Nikki. I, I, I can't hate you. I, 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 but this is really terrible. I'm sorry, I lied. Have you guys ever told a lie? We all have told a lie, I'm sure. Have you ever maybe lied about doing your homework when you maybe did it, or... Maybe feeding some of your dinner to your dog, and then you said, Mommy, I ate it. Have you guys ever done that? No. Have you guys ever, I don't know, we all lie about different things. You know what? Kind of like this ice cream that I lied to Miss Nikki about. When we lie, it leaves a really bad taste in our mouth against the person who we lied to. Do they trust us? Probably not so much anymore. We have to earn their trust back. So when we tell the truth, look, they're just chowing down on that ice cream. I think it's about almost gone. How is that ice cream over there that didn't have salt in it? I got a thumbs up. All right. She's sharing hers. See, when we tell the truth, we not only tell someone good things, but they maybe share the truth too. But when we lie... It kind of, Miss Nikki, Jojo, do you want to taste some of the salty ice? Oh, she wants to taste it. Is it bad? Yummy. It's, oh, it's yummy? She maybe didn't get some. Okay, so, so Miss Nikki didn't lie to Jojo or Reagan. So, all right. So, all right, let's go ahead and pray. And Dear Jesus, we thank you for these kids that came up for children's chat today. Lord, we all lie at some point in time, but help us tell the truth. Be our guiding light so that we can share the truth with others and not lie to our friends or our family. In your son's name we pray, amen. Lost in our service in Virginia. Fire Controlman Seaman Isaiah Rashan Johnson, 19, from Dell City, Oklahoma. This time I want to invite you again, if you're able to stand, to join us in singing number 69, Thy Loving Kindness.
seated. This time I'd like to invite forward my friend Peter Franz. Uh, he is going to be sharing with us a little bit this morning about his missionary work in Turkey. Uh, Peter is a friend of mine. We went to seminary together in Ashland Theological Seminary, and I'm sure he'll take uh, some time to share a little bit more about his story, but he is home in the United States uh, trying to raise some support as he transitions into being a full-time missionary in Turkey. And so, Peter, I'm glad to have you here. Um, the mic is yours, and when you're done, I'd love to pray with you, so don't run away. Günaydın. What's loud? Günaydın is good morning in Turkish. So there you go. Maybe you learned a new word today. That's exciting. Um, as Pastor Joel said, I've been in Turkey for a few years now. I've been there for five and a half years, um, mostly teaching English, but I'm in a point of transition. But um, unfailingly, everyone always wants to know about the climate, the weather, those types of things. So I just want to give you a little bit of an idea of what it's like in Turkey. Uh, Turkey's a pretty dry country. It's not a desert for the most part, just a lot of brown and yellow grass and not too many trees, lots of hills and rocky slopes and things like that. It's pretty open. It's pretty barren for the most part and, like I said, dry. The people are a little bit different from us. Um, they're very, very much in your face, very physical, closeness, touchy. Men will walk down the street arm in arm sometimes, hand in hand. Um, sometimes when they, sometimes when a guy sits next to another guy, he'll, he'll touch him on the shoulder, sometimes on the leg. It, it gets a little bit interesting and d- different and we can say uncomfortable because I'm an American. It's uncomfortable for me. Um, but they're also very hospitable and loving people. Um, if you go into a, the home of a Turkish person, they will serve you continuously. It doesn't matter if it's a, a you know, a mother or, a, or a, a father, husband, wife, roommates. You know, they just throw on love. They just gather you in their arms, give you food and everything you could ever want. Um, and Turks are also people um, that are really struggling to find hope. As well, they it's a very family-oriented culture, so shame is a big thing. Someone does something wrong, they do something against their religion. It's mostly it's an Islamic country, about 99%. Um, but they make a mistake, and they have no one to share it with because they're very, very much. If I say something wrong, it, it gives the whole family a bad name. So people have told me things that have been really heart-wrenching, hard for me to deal with because I can't, I can't tell, them with, tell them to anyone else that can actually make a difference. But I've heard about um, numerous abortions, um, just serious marriage problems for people, um, lying and, and deceit and backstabbing, betrayal-type stuff. And it's, it's just, you know, it breaks my heart, not just that they um, are sharing this with me, but that they have, you know, no one else to share it with. Um, also, Turkey is a hub of refugees fleeing Syria. Um, I can't imagine what kind of loss, what kind of pain, what kind of um, what they've been putting up with for the past several years. Broken families, broken buildings, broken everything. Um, lots and lots of Syrian refugees, and they all come in hopeless, hopeless. No money, no home, no way of working, just struggling to get by, the bare minimum 
But it's not just Syria. We have refugees from Iran, Iraq, um, Afghanistan, and numerous other places. Um, hopeless, just like my Turkish friends. And so I said before, I've been teaching English in Turkey for five and a half years, and I went to seminary with, with Joel, and I thought, you know, someday, I think God is calling me to be a pastor. I think he wants me to find a church like this one, um, be called to a church, and become a pastor. Um, but the more I thought and prayed about it and was finishing my five and a half years teaching English in, in Turkey, the more I really recognized the hopelessness just the struggle, the needs of the people over there, the spiritual needs. There are physical needs too, but there's so much spiritual need. It, it feels like a drought, honestly. Um, Turkey is the largest unreached country in the world. Very, very, very few people have heard the gospel. Um, they've heard of Jesus because he's in the Quran, or they have, you know, just general idea, but these people are hungry for life, for truth because they're so so broken and so without spiritually. So some of the things that I'll be doing when I'm over there, um, one of the things is I'll be helping out. We just are the church I'm a part of, the International Protestant Church of Ankara. Um, lots of different people represented. We just acquired a new apartment building that we're turning into a refugee center. So this is brand new. They're renovating it right now, probably, um, painting and just doing stuff with the, taking out the old carpet, putting the new carpet, cleaning up the walls and staircases and everything. Um, so you're going to be teaching English, going to be teaching Turkish, going to do, be doing fellowship and community things, um, stuff with children, activities. Honestly, I'm telling you just a bunch of things because it's a very new ministry and we haven't hammered down everything yet. But this is going to be an avenue. The hope, the prayer is that this will be an avenue to share the gospel with these people that need it badly. And just and to have that the gospel, not just words that we say, not just things we're speaking, but being paired with valuable life skills, things they need, shelter, friendship, community, financial resources, all of these things, just showing that the love of God is not just a, a broken and empty promise, but a real, real thing, and that God does truly care for them and want to see them thrive. So this is the refugee center. There's also there is a few Turkish Christians in Ankara, in the capital where I live. And there's not many people there to disciple them, to teach them more about the word, to help them learn about how to share their faith. And I can tell you, sharing my faith with Turkish non-believers, students of mine, yeah, I can do that. And they think that I'm, you know, I'm a Christian anyway. I'm from America, you know. It's just, it's natural, it's normal. We're all Muslims, you're all Christians. But for a Turkish Christian, someone who has come to know the Lord in Turkey, in their own culture, their own language, for them to have the tools to be able to share the gospel with their friends, their family, that is, that is a big deal. That is amazing. And it's something that I want to help to foster. I'm asking God to use me as a mentor, disciple, however he would use me to help that happen. And lastly, we have, like I said, an international Protestant church there with more than 200 people um, from Africa, from Asia, from Australia, Europe, North and South America, the whole, the whole world of believers represented there. And um, God has also shown me that this is a place where he needs 
people to step in. There's no pastor. It's run by elders. There's no one on staff, no one being paid to do ministry there. But there are needs. There are needs there. So um, just in this, this last six months, just praying about coming back here, starting a church or joining a church, getting involved, God reminded me that he has people all over the globe and that there's so many people that need to be reached. There's so much work to be done. And I just, one of my my verses that I've been drawn back to again and again in this whole process of discernment and figuring out where he's leading me is actually found in Genesis 12, the call of Abraham. I just want to read the first part to you. The Lord had said to Abraham, leave your native country, your relatives, your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on the earth will be blessed through you. And although our calls are slightly different, I definitely feel I definitely recognize the echo of this Abrahamic promise of calling in my life. God has sent me out. He sent me to a place that is that I have no family, I had no friends, and he's using me to be a blessing to others, to share the gospel, to bring Christ, to show love and mercy and kindness, and to break down stereotypes. For people in Turkey, Christians are basically crusaders. But I, in emulating Christ, I hope that they see someone else, that they see the true Christ in me. And lastly, I want to share with you that this ministry that God has um, sent me on, this, this new mission venture, working with the refugees, the Turkish believers, the Turkish non-believers, and our, our church community, this is not something that I'm able to do without the love, the support, the prayers, the financial giving of the church here in America. Honestly, if, 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 I'm, if I'm not met with support, at the church, I'm visiting several churches and talking to friends and trying to share this vision with them, this, this need for the gospel in Turkey. And it's, it's really important. It's important to me, but it's also important to you. That you are able to see the love of Christ, sprout, grow, develop, bear fruit all over the globe without leaving your community. That's an amazing opportunity just to think of what that means. I saw some of your other missionary opportunities over there, and it's just so exciting. Really, it's so exciting for me to see people that have a heart for missions and ministry. And so I'm sharing this with you, that... I'm, I'm looking for your prayers. Honestly, there is so much darkness over there, hopelessness, like I talked about before, and it's, it's a battle to fight against that on a day-to-day basis. So I'm definitely looking for your prayers, but I'm also asking you to give. If you feel in your heart that God has given you um, the resources to be able to bless this ministry, to help me to be that blessing to others, be blessed to be a blessing, and if he's blessed you to be a blessing to others as well, I invite you to consider that. 
What I'm really looking for, it's in the bulletin, so any other information that you're curious about, a lot of that, I wrote that in the bulletin, but I'm hoping to raise $2,500 a month to be a presence over there for the, the for a while, <laughs> for the long term. Um, but again, I'm looking for people who have the same heart, have the love of Christ, who want to see lives changed, renewed, want to see the church grow tremendously in Turkey and are willing to invest in that. So... I just want to, again, reiterate, please take a moment sometime today to, to check out the information in the back of the bulletin. He's got a nice write-up there about uh, his vision for the ministry. And on the very back page, there's even information about how you can become a giver, be a regular sponsor of Peter's ministry. Just like the church here in, for, in New Knoxville couldn't function without your generous giving, missionaries like Peter can't fulfill the calling of God on their lives without general, generous support uh, from brothers and sisters in Christ. So uh, there's several ways you can do that listed here. Um, but in addition to that, this morning, as well as next Sunday, we're going to have the blue jug out there uh, as a love offering to Peter. Uh, this this development is, is fairly new and fairly recent in Peter's life. And, and as you all know, we do designated offerings uh, have already been set for the whole coming year. And so there was no opportunity right now to, to plug him in and give him an offering like we do with so many other missionaries. Uh, but this is a way that we can still love on him and support him uh, through the blue jug and through the through your generous giving. So this morning and, and next week, if you're willing and able and God has placed uh, that on your heart, I encourage you to give to that. And anything that's placed in the blue jug will then be given to Peter's ministry to help support him. In addition to that, Peter is uh, going to stick around after the service today. I know we have our congregational meeting, but uh, there's a table set up in the Heritage Room. And uh, there's going to be a little bit of a transition time before that meeting is able to start. And then, of course, after the meeting, if anyone has uh, questions or wants to talk to Peter one-on-one about what he does over there, he's, made, he's making himself available to continue that conversation. He also has can have his laptop set up with some pictures and you, so you can get a visual of, of the kind of things and the kind of ministry he does there. So I invite you to to take advantage of that this morning before you leave. That being said, could I pray for you, Peter, and, and the rest of our ministry here this morning? Father, I thank you for Peter and his heart for the gospel and his heart for reaching people with the good news of your grace. And your, and your mercy. I ask, Lord, that you would bless his ministry uh, through the prayers of, of his brothers and sisters in Christ, as well as the financial giving and support as people are able to meet that need. We ask, Lord, for your provision. Uh, we thank you, Lord, that he is able to connect with this church and other churches while he's here in the United States. And I pray that um, through, through this time and through these connections, Lord, that you would provide for his ministry so that he can return to Turkey and be able to continue the ministry that he began there the last five and a half years and, and continue to follow, Lord, where you're leading him with these new steps. We also thank you, Lord, for the many gifts and blessings that you've placed on in our lives. We, we also pray for our, our congregational meeting this morning. We ask for your wisdom and your guidance and your provision for us as a church as we discuss uh, being good stewards of this building that you've placed in our trust. And Lord, we also lift up the names that are represented in the bulletin, our prayer concerns and the focus that is there. We ask for healing where it's needed. We ask for your guidance and your reconciliation and, and your redeeming love to just be with those that are, that are in need of it, Lord. We ask all these things in the name of Christ who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. 
For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Thanks, Peter. This time I invite forward uh, the deacons and, and those who are helping with the offering this morning. Thank you. reading this morning is from Exodus 20 verses 1 through 16 and God spoke all these words I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt out of the land of slavery 
You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath day to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You may be seated. Before we jump right into the sermon here, I do want to take a moment and, and give you some uh, idea of what we're going to be, uh, give some instructions for how, how the congregational meeting is going to happen here following the service and don't want to, you know, maybe forget to share that at the end of the sermon here. Uh, following the ser- following the conclusion of the service here, we are going to need a little bit of time to transition. Uh, the the Sound guys need time to, to finalize the recording so that it can be played back on the radio at 10.15. And there's going to be some informational handouts as well as paper ballots and pens that need to be distributed uh, among the congregation. And the deacons are going to be taking care of that. Uh, so during that, that transition time, we encourage you to, to stay here. There's also the child care that's happening next door in the ministry center, uh, arranged by the youth group helping out with that. So if you need to take kids over there, that's a perfect time to do that. And once all of those things kind of take place and settle down, then we'll get started with the meeting as, as quickly as we're able to do that. Uh, as I mentioned, uh, Peter will be in the Heritage Room. Uh, there might be a few minutes there to chat if you'd like to do that. Uh, and, and Sharon's also going to be uh, leading us in a couple uh, hymns just to, to pass that time. And so if you're not passing out things, if you're not having to take kids over and, and you want to just remain in here, you can you can choose to, to stay and, and worship with us a little bit as we prepare for the meeting. Uh, so I encourage you, of course, if you're a member of the church here, to stick around and be a part of that meeting because it is a an important thing for us to discuss as a church, as a congregational church, to make these sorts of decisions together. Uh, so with that being said, let's, let's go to the Lord in prayer and, and see what he has in store for us this morning out of his word. Father, we are so grateful that we can gather uh, to, to be your church here in this place. Lord, thank you for the reminder today that we are not alone, that we are not the only believers, but there are believers all over this world who are gathering to worship you this day and, and ask for your blessing and your presence to be with, with all of them as well. Uh, and, and as we open your word together, we ask for your grace, uh, your your holiness and your goodness to be made known, and for you to draw us to yourself through what uh, your word has to say to us. It's in Christ that we pray. Amen. 
Uh, we're going to be obviously continuing on, uh, making our way almost through the, our, our series here on the Ten Commandments. We're on number nine, so thank you for sticking with us this far. Um, I know that uh, that as we look at God's Word together, there's some parts of it that are meant to be comforting, meant to be encouragement, that 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 help build us up, and and there's some parts of God's Word that are a little bit more confrontational. Uh, and, and I and I mean that in a good way. There's parts that that reveal the fact that we often fall short of God's glory, that we don't live up to the standard that God has put out for us, and therefore we need Him. It, it points to our need for a Savior, and that Savior, of course, is Jesus Christ. And so this is another the, the Ten Commandments in particular, and this is another one of those that that I believe we all should feel convicted about. Uh, truth is something that uh, can be slippery at times, can it? Uh, we find ourselves uh, maybe not pronouncing uh, bold face, outright lies, but we find ourselves maybe bending the truth a little bit in ways that, that are to our advantage. In fact, we live in a culture where truth is not necessarily um, uh, absolute or a standard quite so much anymore that maybe it was in times past. Truth tends to be uh, situational, uh, depending on, uh, you know, kind of an ends justify the means sort of situation. But I want to encourage us this morning to, to not fall into that trap that truth is, that your truth is your truth and my truth is my truth, but that there is a truth. There is God's truth that is absolute. Um, and, and that's one aspect of it. And, and the other aspect is that we should then, as God's people, as, as people created in His image, reflect that truth in everything we do and say, and uh, and even think and so so to to tell the truth or to not lie then is to to live out of our identity in Christ and live out of that image that God has created us in. And I, I want to this morning take a look first at at the kind of the why this is such a big deal, and then we'll talk about some of the specific ways that we do lie and how we can respond to that. First of all, the reason why this is such a big deal, the reason why Scripture is so concerned with us being truthful is because God Himself is the truth. So to, to lie then is to go against God's nature. In Titus chapter 1, as Paul is, is introducing himself and the hope that we have for eternal life in Christ, he says in chapter 1 verse 2, in the hope of eternal life which God who does not lie promised before the beginning of time. See, it's almost a throwaway statement there to prove his point, but there's something very profound there. God who does not lie. He cannot lie because of who he is. And so God delights in the truth. God, God despises people who tell lies, despises falsehood, and he delights in truth, and he delights in people who tell the truth. We see that in Proverbs chapter 12, verse 22. You see, God is very truthful in his very nature, at the very core of his character. And he can't... He can't um, go against that. In fact, in Romans chapter 3, Paul says, uh, chapter 3, verses 3 and 4, he says, What if some were unfaithful? Speaking of us as God's people, he says, What if some were unfaithful? Will their unfaithfulness nullify God's faithfulness? Not at all. Let God be true and every human being a liar. In other words, what Paul's saying is even if we all decide one day what truth is and it goes against what God's word says is true, that doesn't make it right. That doesn't make it true. What's true is what God says to be true because truth is found in him. So even if we all decide to go in a different direction, that doesn't make it any less true and it doesn't make the decision we make any more valid. We're all, if that were the case, then we would all be liars because God would still be true. 
In fact, Jesus himself says that he is the way, the truth, and the life in John chapter 14. It's interesting. He, he, he puts himself in that position that the truth then can be known just like we know a good friend. We can have a relationship with the truth because we can know God through Christ and through the presence of his Holy Spirit. And truth from a, a biblical perspective, especially in the Old Testament, is very closely connected with the idea of faithfulness. Not only is God true and he will never lie, but he won't change either. He's the same yesterday, yesterday, today, and forever. And so God is true and he will, he will be, he has been true in the past. He's true right now and he will continue to be true in the future. And so we can trust in that. We can rely on that because we know he's not going to change and he will always remain faithful even when we stray ourselves. So to be made in his image then is to reflect that truthfulness and that faithfulness in everything we do, including our words. As I already alluded to, we know this to be true. God's word itself is truth. In Psalm 119, verse 160, the psalmist writes, All your words are true. All your righteous laws are eternal. You know, we know from Second Timothy chapter 3 that, that all Scripture is God-breathed, right? It's, it's all from God, and, and God has ordained it to be so. And so we can know God, we can, we can know His truth by knowing His Word. That's the gift that He's given us through Scripture. And prayer then is our response to God. That's the conversation that we're able to have with Him. He always initiates it with Scripture, and prayer is our response to how He's revealed Himself. And God's Word then will always accomplish its purpose. Right? If God's word is true, if it's eternal, if it's, if it's what God wanted us to have so that we can know him and know what truth is, then it will accomplish that purpose. It will fulfill the purpose for which God has sent it. Namely, so that we may know him and know what truth is. And so if God is truth, then where do lies come from? Where, what, what is that? Where does that, uh, who are we emulating when we tell lies? Well, we see that in scripture is lies originate with Satan, with the enemy. Whereas God is always truthful and cannot lie, the enemy is always lying and cannot tell the truth. Now we have to, it's important to clarify, the enemy is not God. He's not like God. He's not all-knowing. He's not all-powerful. He's not all-present. He can't create things. And so all that he can do is take what God has given us and twist it for his own purposes, twist it and manipulate it uh, to his own ends. And that's what he does with truth. He twists and manipulates it in order to deceive people. Think of Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, right? What's Genesis 3, 1 say? It's the, it's the story of the serpent tempting Eve. And the very first words that he spoke is, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? All right, think about what he's doing there. He's, he's taking what God had said but twisting it, turning it and manipulating it so that he can achieve his own purposes. We see the same thing in Matthew chapter 4 when Jesus is tempted in the wilderness. Satan quotes scripture, but he does so out of context in a way to manipulate Jesus and try to tempt him to test God. In John chapter 8 verse 44, Jesus, in a a debate and in a confrontation with the Pharisees, tells them that they are father, they are children of their true father of the enemy because their father is a father of lies, and that's all he can do is speak lies. And so when we lie, when we fall into that fall for that temptation, we are reflecting the enemy's image rather than God's. 
And so if that's, that's, that's what's going on underneath this commandment. God is a God of truth, and, and the enemy is the one who then manipulates that and twists it to his own advantage. And so when we, when we tell the truth, we're reflecting God's nature within us. And when we decide to deceive others or, or bend the truth, we're reflecting more of an image of the enemy. But why do we do that? Why do we succumb to this temptation? J.I. Packer in his book, Keeping the Ten Commandments, says that there's two main reasons why, why people tend to lie. Pride and malice. We lie out of our pride because we want to make ourselves look good. Right? We live in a very image-based culture, don't we? Appearance is everything. And, and, it's not, and, and when we, we, we can often stretch the truth or exaggerate or tell outright lies, trying to make ourselves look better than we really are. Right? There's nothing wrong with putting your best foot forward, but, but it's something else entirely when you're putting on a fake front and a fake mask and pretending to be something that you're not. Malice, on the other hand, is when we lie in order to hurt others or bring them down. And that can be a very devastating thing. Whoever came up with the, the rhyme, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me, obviously has never been hurt by someone's words. Because they can do real damage, can't they? And so part of this commandment is not just to be, to be truthful all the time, but also to try to build others up and protect our neighbor. To watch out for them and love them as, as we would wish they would do the same for us. Because lies hurt people. They insult both God and our neighbor, especially when those lies are used to tear other people down or build ourselves up at their expense. So I already alluded to, there, what's the scope of this commandment? What is God getting at here? Well, of course, there's those outright lies. Uh, in fact, the language that's used here in this commandment has to do with the court of law, giving false testimony against our neighbor. And that was a very serious thing because in that day, there were no video or audio recordings of an event. There was no DNA or fingerprint evidence that people could examine in order to find someone innocent or prove someone guilty. And so, so in legal matters, so much of the, the decision of the judge was dependent on eyewitnesses. And that's why there's plenty of scriptures in the Old and New Testament that talks about the need of two or three witnesses uh, to, to, to verify the truthfulness of someone's statement or to, to find someone guilty in the case of a crime. But even that could be manipulated, right? You could easily get two or three people to lie for you, right? You could, you could find someone guilty according to the court of law by simply manipulating some witnesses and getting them to say what you want. I mentioned last week the, the story of, of Jezebel and Naboth in, the, the, in 1 Kings 21 and, and what they did to steal his vineyard from him. What did Jezebel do? She got two witnesses to stand up and claim that he had cursed God and the king falsely. And simply from their testimony, he was put to death and his vineyard was taken from him. And so these outright lies can truly hurt people and God desires for us to to tell the truth, of course, at all times, but, but it's not just outright lies. We, we also uh, are breaking this commandment when we, when we deceive others. The idea of something being false means being untrue or even insincere. And so we may not speak lies exactly. The words that come out of our mouths may technically be true, but, they, but it's still lying if we do so in a misleading or deceiving way. You know, the intention behind our words matter. And so if you're telling the truth, but you're doing it in a way that is deceiving someone or getting them or manipulating them, that is still speaking falsehood. We also tell half-truths sometimes, don't we? 
Think of the, the, the statement that the traditionally we're supposed to say in the court of law when we are sworn in as a witness. I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. See, we don't always include the whole truth, do we? Sometimes we just include the details that we want to include to make ourselves look good and leave out the parts that make us look bad. Think of a kid tattling on their, their classmate or their sibling, right? They're not going to come and tell you, well, I was annoying, the, the, I was annoying them real bad, and then they, they kicked me in response, right? No, they're just going to come up and say, no, he kicked me. Right? They're going to leave out the parts that make themselves look bad and only include the parts that make them look good. That's a half-truth, and that is still being insincere. Sometimes we twist words or we exaggerate things in order to, to gain or, or, or to, to cause other people pain. And again, that's what Satan did with those lies. He twisted the truth. He took something that was, that was true but twisted it and manipulated it for his own purposes. There's also insincere flattery or sarcasm to say one thing but mean something else. To allow person to be the, uh, someone else to be the butt of a joke, especially when they don't, don't see it coming or don't realize it. That is also a form of insincere speech. And the last one I want to touch on is, is gossip and slander. And I save this for last because I think this is a big one. Gossip is, is passing along reports or rumors that, that can't be substantiated. When I was at Anderson University undergrad, I had a friend that worked at a, um, the pool the, 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 at the wellness center at the university. And they'd often get church groups in the area that would rent out time in the pool for different things. And he was one of the lifeguards that had to be on duty for these activities. And, and he talked about this, this one local church that had a, a ladies water aerobics class. Uh, that would go and, and they do supposedly have this time reserved to do their water aerobics exercise. Well, he would remind me that their version of water aerobics was standing in the shallow end gossiping about all the things that were happening in the church. That, that was their exercise that morning and he had to sit there and listen to it all going down. You know, gossip can really hurt people. In fact, most, even, most of the times we pass along things that we find out later aren't even true. Or, or even if the thing is true, it does damage by, by allowing that information to get out there. See, gossip, um, when you hear a word of gossip, you know, we, we want to ask ourselves a couple questions. First of all, would the person be happy if I were to share this information with someone else? Would they really be happy if, I was, if they found out that I was talking to my, my coworker about this situation? And the other question is, is it really necessary to pass along this information? What's the benefit of, of sharing this with someone else? If the answer is no to either one of those questions, you shouldn't be talking about it. It would be gossip. Slander, on the other hand, is intentionally passing along false information in order to hurt someone else. It's assuming the worst in other people and their actions and their motives. It's jumping to conclusions about, about the, the condition of another person's heart or why they do certain things. You know, we, Pastor Kevin DeYoung uh, mentioned, talked about how we often uh, put people on trial by Twitter, don't we? Right? We, we put things out there and we claim that someone is a terrible, awful, no good person and, and it just gets spread like wildfire all over Twitter. Well, the problem is that more times than not, those things either tend to be either exaggerations or not true, but the damage has already been done. Because bad news often travels faster than good news. And so we need to be careful as we, as we hear things about people that we don't just quickly pass it on because even, even if true, 
there's still damage that is done and, and, and uh, you're just spreading, uh, spreading reports that can tear people down. So I want to cl- close today with a few comments about how we can respond. What should we do in light of this reality? One, we need to speak truth in every situation when we are able to do so. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus uh, tells us, let your yes be yes and your no be no. In other words, he's actually talking about swearing oaths, but, but the, the reason here, the, the reason I point to this is because if we're being truthful all the time, we have no need to swear oaths to testify to our truthfulness. All right, think of the boy who cried wolf and the moral of that story. What, what did the boy do? He kept crying wolf, crying wolf, and there was no wolf. He became known as a liar and, and, and blowing false alarms. And, and then when the wolf actually did come, nobody believed him. And so if we, are, if we have a, a, a character, if we have a, a history of being truthful, then no one is going to doubt us as we continue to tell the truth. And so we need to, to speak the truth as often and as, as, uh, as we are able to do so. We also need to learn to speak the truth even when it's hard. Truth will make people uncomfortable. Uh, and, and to truly love someone means to want God's best for that person. First Corinthians 13 says love rejoices with the truth. And so sometimes you need to have hard conversations with a loved one. Sometimes you need to be honest with them and speak the truth in order to help them, in order to, to redeem them, to, to bring them through whatever they may be facing. The other side of that, to withhold truth in a situation like that, to allow someone to continue on and, and ha- toward evil or toward harm is, is wrong to do so. So we need to speak the truth when it's hard, but we also need to speak the truth in love. Scripture says in Ephesians chapter 4, in verses 15 and in verse 25, we need to always be truthful. We need to, we need to lift up truthfulness and we need to do so speaking the truth in love. Jesus came full of grace and truth. He didn't shy away from, from the truth, but he did so in a way that was gracious and, and kind and loving towards others. There are times when you need to speak the truth, but we also don't need to be a jerk about it, right? The command to speak the truth doesn't give us free reign to just be cruel to other people. Even as we need to speak the truth, we need to do so in a way that is kind and loving towards our neighbor so that they can be built up and can be brought near to the grace of Christ. And so I encourage you this day to, to be truthful in every situation you're able, to speak truth even when it's hard, and to do so in the love of Christ. As we do that, as we commit to that, we will find that that, that will both honor God and our neighbor, which is truly the intention of the Ten Commandments as we've been talking about so far. Let's pray together this morning. Father, I thank you that you have given us your Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth that guides us into all truth. I ask that you would... Fill us with your spirit so that we may know what truth is. We may know the truth of your word and that we may speak truth freely to our neighbors. Help us set aside all forms of falsehood and more perfectly reflect your truthfulness and your faithfulness. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. In closing, let's stand and sing the first verse of number 442. Take time to be holy.